Uh, I just had to do that because, hold on, hold on. You're just, just stay right there, dude. Uh, <laughs> um, how many of you guys were thankful for Tyler? So would you say amen? He's done such a great job. Um, he's really grown into these positions. When you hire a kid at 21, you just don't know what you're going to. What you're gonna get? It's like a box of chocolates. Uh, he was 20, uh, but 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 learning Tyler's gifts and talents that God has given him, given him has been really fun, and he's extremely good at details. He's very organized. I really love that uh, about Tyler, and uh, and I appreciate uh, how God has made him. And um, I asked him to preach. He was excited to put together a message for you tonight. And so would you join me in welcoming Tyler to the platform at Grand Rapids Baptist Church. You can come on out here now. How's everybody doing today? Good. Okay, I have no idea whose uh, by this is, but oh well. So yes, if you would turn me in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 4. Yeah, so I know, I, I don't know, I think I maybe heard a couple of you guys when pastor was like, all right, so Tyler is preaching tonight. Did I hear someone groan in here? I, I, I talked to a couple of you before church. You guys were like, Tyler, you're preaching tonight? I'm going home. I'm looking at a couple of you right now. I won't call you out, Verl, but it's great. But yeah, so Hebrews chapter number four. Can you guys believe it? It's March 1st. You know what that means? The sun, yeah, March Madness, okay, fine. Sorry, I'm not much of a sports guy, sorry. But the sun's out. It's like, what, 50-something degrees outside. The snow is melting. It's shorts weather. I even just saw a family in our church, uh, Josh and Rachel Bringadall. They, like, just posted on Facebook. It's 50 outside, so it's time to go to the beach. Welcome to Michigan, right? I still remember when I was in Hawaii, just, I, was, um, I think I was a junior in high school. It was 55 degrees. It was 6 o'clock in the morning. I was at the bus stop, and I kid you not, these were my thoughts. I was thinking, why are we going to school right now? It's 55 degrees outside. It's freezing. The mainland, they get snow days. How come we can't get cold days? Why not, Right? Right? But, but for us, summer literally starts the first week of May, so I guess that's kind of fair, because I guess I was talking to someone, someone told me summer, actually, summer vacation doesn't really start till the last week of May or something like that. Is that true? Oh, wow, okay. Thank you. But think about it. It's March now, and can you believe just how quickly this year is coming and going? I still remember it being the last week of December Christmas is over, we're getting ready for the New Year's, and when it comes to the New Year's, everyone is thinking of one thing, New Year's resolutions, right? We're all thinking about, or maybe not all of us, but most of us are thinking about New Year's resolutions, and I told myself, all right, this is my year. This is the year where I am going to lose weight, I'm going to work out again, and I'm going to eat healthy. I told myself, I'm going to go to the gym three times a week. I'm going to track my calories again, just like I did in high school. I'm going to eat my veggies and my fruits, and I am ready, and I'm going to do it. Guess how long that lasted? Oh, come on, Janine. Two days, really? A little more faith in me. Come on. Two weeks. I lasted two weeks. But fun funny enough, 
statistically speaking, only about 19% of people actually succeed in their New Year's resolutions. Most people quit their resolutions by January 17th. That's a little discouraging, isn't it? You know, which is kind of funny. And the reason why I, w- I kind of quit, because I just wasn't getting adequate rest, which, funny enough, was actually my word for the year. Two weeks into the New Year's, I told myself, my word of the year is going to be rest. And the reason why I quit on my New Year's resolution is because I wasn't resting enough. Great job, Tyler. But... That's kind of like a trend that's kind of going right now. Like a lot of people were like, all right, it's 2020, it's my year, and I'm going to pick a word for the year. Some people, they chose love. I want to be more loving in 2020. Or maybe it's flexible. I want to be more flexible. Or maybe it's trust. Or maybe it's confident or content or persevere or joy. The list can go on. Is there anyone in here who actually was like, I have a word for the year. Is there anyone else other than me? I guess not. But, but the thing is, I chose the word rest. And this is an area that I fell in over and over again. But here in the book of Hebrews, the author is telling us that we have a greater rest. We have the ultimate rest, and that rest is in Jesus My question for you is, do you need rest? Are you tossing and turning at night with just these constant thoughts that are just coming to your head and you just can't sleep and you're just restless at night because you're just worried about something? Or maybe you're just daydreaming about just different scenarios of just things that probably isn't even going to happen. Or maybe you're just depressed and overwhelmed because you just feel like you can't go another day. Jesus promises us rest. But my question is, will you enter into that rest? Let's look at some truths together tonight here in Hebrews chapter four. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, just thank you for who you are. Just thank you for being such an amazing God. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to just preach your word and just to just say what's really been on my heart for quite a while now. And I just pray for your strength. I pray for your grace now as we just talk about rest. Bless us now in Jesus' name, amen. All right, before I actually get started, so kids, don't forget we, about the sermon notes because if you guys fill this out, you guys get a piece of candy. Teens, you guys can do it too if you want. Adults, sure, why not? I don't care. I love, give, I love bribing with candy. Isn't it great? Can you tell I work with kids a lot? So if you, are the chlorus here? I'm trying to make you guys some money because you know you guys are dentists, right? No? Oh, man, whatever whatever. Okay, I tried. But here's how it is. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, we see that we actually have a warning. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 1. The Bible says, let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left of us entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So to kind of give some context of what's going on here in Hebrews chapter 4, we actually have to look back a little bit in Hebrews chapter 3. The author is actually referencing a time in the history of Israel where the people actually rejected God. Hebrews 3 is a reference to a story where the people of Israel were right outside of the promised land. 
They were literally at the doorsteps. They were ready to go inside. They were ready to just go into this place that God has promised to the people for the past 400 years. That first promise to Abraham where he says, look, there is a promised land for you and your people. They were right there. But before they could get started, God actually commanded the people, hey, out of all of your tri- all 12 tribes of Israel, you need to pick one man from each of the tribe and to actually go into the land and spy out the land. So that's exactly what they did. And for 40 days, the 12 spies went into the land of Israel and they looked and they searched. They looked at what was going on and they saw some amazing stuff. They saw the land flowing with milk and honey. They saw the huge clusters of grapes. They saw everything. But... What else did they see? They saw enemies. They saw giants. They saw trials. And they got scared. And the Bible says in Numbers chapter 13, verse 26, the Bible says, And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, we came unto the land whither thou sentest us and surely it floweth with milk and honey and that is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong and dwell in the land and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people for Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with them said, We'd be not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that saw in it are men of a great stature. And there, were, and there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come, with the, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Verse 1 in chapter 14, the Bible says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. This is it. The children of Israel were at the very doorsteps of the promised land. They had 12 men that went inside the promised land for 40 days and they saw it. They saw how beautiful it was. They saw how lustrous it was. They saw how absolutely amazing it was. And yet they were terrified. They saw these giants and they forgot who God was. They realized, and up to this point, God has fought so many battles for Israel. Up to this point, they have seen God free them from Egypt. They have seen God just utterly destroy the, the, the uh, army of Egypt. 
They've seen God provide for them. They've seen God do so much for them. They've seen God give them food and water and manna and guide them through the night and through the day. And now that they're finally here, now that they're finally at the doorsteps of Canaan, of the promised land, they're terrified. They got to a point where they said, why are we even here? What's the point of us even leaving Egypt to begin with if we're going to die here at the promised land? They were terrified. They absolutely ignored everything that God did in the past, and they were so focused on the trials that were right in front of them. They said they'd rather be a slave back in Egypt. They'd rather return to their, own, their old ways than to risk going into the promised land because of these giants, because of these enemies. And that's kind of what's going on here, even in the book of Hebrews. These Jews, these are Jews who have recently uh, converted to Christianity. And now, because of that, their family has literally disowned them. Some historians believe that these Jews literally had funerals for their Jewish Christian friends and families because they're like, you're dead to me. You are dead to me. How can you worship that Messiah, that Messiah? There's no way he's our Christ. There's no way this Jesus that you are worshiping. There's no way he is our Messiah. He's supposed to come back and build up a kingdom and free us from Rome. This man committed blasphemy. He's a lunatic. He's crazy. There's absolutely no way this is the Christ that you're talking about. And these Hebrew Christians were just heavily persecuted. And they were most likely going to be even more persecuted afterwards. And they were just terrified. And because of that, because of their immaturity in their walk with Christ, because of their, the fact that they're very young Christians, they actually want to go back to Judaism because of the persecution that they're facing. And that's why the author of the book of Hebrews wrote this book, because he wants to keep one main theme and keep this theme in front of the Hebrew Christians. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Joshua. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the law. Jesus is better than the tabernacle. Jesus is better. And Jesus is sufficient. And all throughout, we see this one theme, but the author of Hebrews kind of does it in, very, uh, in various different ways. And here in Hebrews chapter 4, we actually see that we're, uh, we're seeing it as a warning. We're seeing it as our warning here. He was saying, look. He's saying, by the way, he said, he warns the people by way of example of the story of the 12 spies, like I said. The people of Israel were already saved. They're out of Egypt they have been saved from Egypt. They are free now. And now God says, look, I want Egypt. I want, I'm sorry, I want the Israelites to enter into rest. But they are refusing because of fear. They would rather go back. And this is the warning that the author of Hebrews is giving to uh, these Hebrew Christians because they want to do the exact same thing. These Hebrew Christians, because of the persecution, they wanted to go right back. They want us to go right back to the way that they were before. They, they were like, you know what? What's the point of serving this Jesus if I'm going to go through persecution? What's the point of serving this Jesus if I'm going to be so lonely? What is the point of all of that? And that's why this author is giving a warning right here. He says, look, it is not worth it. 
you are saved from your sins. There's no other sacrifice for your sins. There's no point in turning back because they wanted to turn back due to their difficulty and the loneliness of persecution from their own family. Some of us might think it's foolish for Israel to want to go back to Egypt or maybe for these Jewish Christians to want to go back to Judaism, but hindsight's 2020, isn't it? Because, I mean, we're here. We literally see the stories. We saw what Israel had to go through because they rejected God. We kind of see the story of Hebrews because we're reading it. But what about us? What happens when trials come? What happens when storms come? What happens when we have, when God puts a giant in your life or an obstacle? What's your reaction? There are times when God puts something in our lives that just absolutely overwhelms us. The situation may be impossible, exhausting, frustrating, and maybe even dangerous. Sometimes these situations happen because we are being disobedient to God, but in reality, most of the time, it's because we are being obedient to him. Think about it. These Israelites, they wanted to just serve God. They have been following God. They left Egypt. God uh, freed them from Egypt, and now they're about to go into the promised land. They're obeying God. Or maybe even these uh, Hebrew Christians, they got saved. They knew what they were getting themselves into. They knew exactly what they were doing when they said, I want Jesus. I believe in Jesus. They knew exactly what they were doing. They are just trying to obey and many times in our lives, that's the exact same thing. We're just trying to obey God. We're just trying to do what is right. Maybe we're just trying to serve God the best way we know how, and maybe there's a strain in your marriage. Who knows, maybe a divorce is on its way. Or maybe you got inspired recently, or maybe even this morning, about generosity. You're so ready to give back to God. Maybe you're ready to take that tithing challenge or maybe you're ready to just give back to these nonprofits, these charities that we want to give to, like Family Promise or Running for Covers or the Pregnancy Resource Center. And maybe something, maybe a catastrophe happened. Maybe something happened to the point where it's like maybe a financial hardship came and maybe like a large medical bill came and you're thinking to yourself, how am I going to pay for this? Maybe your car broke down. Maybe there's a huge accident in your house and you have no idea how you're going to pay for this. Maybe you unexpectedly lost a loved one. You just don't know why. And you're kind of thinking to yourself, why, God? Why? You're, you just feel defeated. You feel depressed, overwhelmed. And you're like, why, God? Why would you put me in this situation? I'm just trying to serve you. Sometimes God puts these trials or these giants in your life because we need a storm as a reminder of God's glory. We need a reminder of his power, his presence, and his strength. The Israelites failed to enter into the promised land because they did not trust God's protection. They had forgotten how powerful God is, and because of that, they had to wander the desert for 40 years. Had they trusted God right then and there, like Joshua and Caleb did, they could have gone into the promised land right then and there, and God would have fought for them. Or maybe you see these Hebrew Christians who are terrified and they want to just turn away from Jesus. Maybe if they kind of just stuck with Jesus, they're like, you know what, even though I am being persecuted, maybe even though uh, my family is persecuting me and hating me and disowning me and making me feel lonely, maybe if they allowed God to fight for them, 
who knows, another miracle could have happened. Maybe their family members could have gotten saved too. I don't know. But you know what? Both of these groups allowed something to happen. They allowed their present circumstances to overshadow the promises of God. They allowed their difficulty to blind them of who God is. And had they allowed God to fight the battle for them, they would have seen God's glory. They would have seen his power. Look, trials and storms are just a part of life. Your life is not good because it's easy or predictable. Your life is good because the great I am has come in and has, he has invaded your existence by his grace. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, he realized that we couldn't live this life. So he came down and lived a life that we couldn't live and died the death that we deserved and he rose again three days later. Why? Because we can't do it. Because he wants to give us eternal rest. He wants to give us that rest that we so desperately need. So my question is, will you rest in him? So number one, we see our warning. Number two, we see our commandment. The Bible says in verse three through four, the Bible says, for we which have believed, for we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all of his work. These Hebrew Christians were clearly stressed out. They were so heavily persecuted, and they were even on the verge of even more persecution. We see in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, uh, the author says, the Bible says, but call to remembrance the former days in which ye, after ye were illuminated, or when they got saved, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. These Hebrew Christians clearly needed rest. So the author actually gives them an example of rest. He even showed them that God himself rested. When God created the universe, he chose to rest the seventh day. Did God need to rest? No. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. But he chose to rest as an example for us, as a principle that we can use of rest. You know, for a lot of you here, I get it. Between work, school, family, kids, managing extended family, you're just tired. We live in a culture that is chronically overworked to a point where overworking is actually celebrated. Life is exhausting here. And the problem is, it's terrible for our health. I mean, if you think about it too, like it's funny. I don't want to say it's funny, but it's kind of ironic because when you have these people who have been burnt out, they're like, oh, they got burnt out. They should have rested. They should have done better. How, how they were burnt out, blah, blah, blah. And yet it's kind of celebrated when they're just right at that verge of burning out. They're like, look at how much that person can handle. That is so amazing how they can do that. Good for them. Bravo. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that ironic? We celebrate overworking, and it's unhealthy for us. Healthcare professionals have traced this to billions of dollars of medical expenses, health disease, cancer, lung ailments, accidental injuries, cirrhosis of the liver, and so much more. A study has shown that those who work 11-hour days are, get this, 
250% more likely to become depressed than those who work eight-hour days. Isn't that crazy? Of course, overwork also leads to the destruction of our families. Many of you men who work a lot, you're not bad fathers, not because you're bad people or that you don't care about your children. I don't doubt that. I know you love your family. I know you love your children. It's that you don't have the time or energy to devote to your family. Even when you do get home before they get to bed, you've used everything you've got at work. And all they know of their dad is a stressed out zombie-like figure. You gave your best at your job. Now, I mean, I'm not saying that this is an area that I excel in. In fact, this is an area that I fail in very often. I know pastor even came up to me, I think probably like two or three weeks ago. You kind of came up to me and said, hey, Tyler, I appreciate that you work so hard. I appreciate that you're a hard worker, but make sure you get some rest too. Make sure you get some vacation. I'm like, sure. <laughs> I know, right? I'm being a little hypocritical too. This is an area that I fail in constantly. For those who know what the Enneagrams are, for those who don't, lucky you, it's not worth it. It's some good stuff, but mm, I don't know. But for those who do know what it is, I'm what's called, I'm a type three, which means I'm an absolute workaholic. I love to work. I love to get things done. I'm extremely detail-oriented, like Pastor said. But I am constantly on the go. I'm constantly on the move. I'm constantly working. And in fact, for those who don't even know, I've actually been working at UPS for the past nine months now, starting today, just like pastor. I was like, well, I mean, why not? Let's make some extra money while I'm at it. Let's get some health insurance, which funny enough, uh, even though I started nine months ago today, my health insurance kicks in in six days. And I actually just canceled my health insurance. So pray for me that I'll be safe for the next six days. Like I don't get hurt. That'd be, that'd be amazing because that'd be, t- you know, like, it kind of defeats the purpose of working at UPS to make money if I get hurt, and yeah, that'd be bad. But obviously, like I said, like, the re- I really wanted to kind of get this job to really just start saving more. I mean, put it towards a house, put it towards a ring, put it towards my future, put it towards my marriage. But I was like, I'm doing exactly what this article is warning me not to do. I'm working the 11 to 12-hour days, and I know there are definitely days where I'm not getting the adequate rest. And... There are probably some of you in here who are like, oh, woe is me, Tyler. That's normal. I already do that. I work the 60, 70, 8-hour days. Or maybe some of you are like the college student who's constantly just doing school and trying to work a full-time job and still trying to have a social life. Or some of you are maybe the stay-at-home moms who are literally on call 24-7. But and some of you are probably thinking, ah, rest is for the week. I got it. Or maybe, or, may, or maybe, maybe, my favorite one, I can rest when I'm dead. Who's heard that one before? I heard it a lot. But if that's the case, why don't we look at Exodus chapter 20? Exodus chapter 20, some of you might know Exodus chapter 20 is actually the Ten Commandments. And we kind of think of the Ten Commandments all the time. We always think of, I don't know, Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Thou shalt not bow down to any graven image or an idol. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. Honor thy father and thy mother. We know the Ten Commandments, and yet we tend to always kind of skip over one of them. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in the six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in, in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed, blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Isn't that very interesting how we kind of always look at the other Ten Commandments? Like, obviously, I understand. Like, none of us can keep the Ten Commandments. I totally understand that. And in Christ, because of him, he has fulfilled the law. But every time we think of the Ten Commandments, we kind of think, oh, don't kill. Killing's bad. Don't steal. Stealing's bad. Oh, don't covet. Don't do any of that. Oh, you better honor your mom and your dad. That's really important, kids. Right, kids? Good job who said that. I was about to say, you can get a candy, all right? (laughs) See, I bribe kids all the time. But we kind of think of all these Ten Commandments, and yet when we get to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, rest. We're like, nah, it's fine. It's Old Testament. We don't need to follow that principle anymore. We kind of just elevate other commandments like thou shalt not kill, which funny enough is only one verse, whereas we see remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy is four verses. God gave us a game plan here. He said, look, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Work the six days and on the seventh day, rest. Rest. And why? Because this is a day that God has made special. Rest is such a vital part of our lives. Rest is a vital principle that we need in our lives. And the thing is, because of what culture has kind of done to this principle of rest of like, you just got to grind, just work hard, just keep grinding. If, well, as you're a teen, as you're a young adult, as you're in your mid-30s, just keep on grinding until you get to retirement and then you're good. Then you can rest when you're finally in retirement. When in reality, rest is something that we need daily because we can't do it because we will get burnt out. We will get hurt. We just can't do it because look, we cannot pick and choose which commandments we're going to follow and which one we're not. Some of you might even say, Tyler, I really want to rest. I really do. College is hard. Parenting is hard. Trying to provide for my family is hard. For some of you, I get it because I was there. For some of you, I don't because I'm not there. But maybe this is just a step of faith that God wants you to take. And in reality, it's only by his grace that we can even do anything. Our lives belong to Jesus. Like what pastor said this morning, all that we have, all that we do, all that we own belongs to Jesus. So why not let him take care of it anyway? It's all his. If we can trust God with our eternal life, with our salvation, with us being in the mansions in heaven when we die, can we trust God today with our rest? Can we take that step of faith and allow him to give us that rest? We need, we need to have faith in God in every other area of our lives, so why not have faith in God here in our rest? Maybe some of you literally and physically cannot take a full day of rest because of your commitments. Then why not at least take the principle and find a time to rest? Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Amen. That's right. If 
If you guys forget everything that I just preached today, tonight, just remember this. Just go home and take a nap. Amen. That's all. Just, just go home and take a nap. Resting is important. We need it. I mean, think about it. We think of Elijah when he was ready. He was on Mount Carmel. He, defe- he defeated these prophets, and he was ready. And, and finally, it just finally clicked with him. He just snapped because Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you. And he ran away. And what did God tell him to do? Take a nap and eat some food. Jonah, when he kind of got burnt out, what did he do? He took a nap. Jesus, when he was on Jesus, when he was on the boat, what did he do? He took a nap. Taking a nap actually is really spiritual, believe it or not. It's important. Pastor Kerry Schmidt, he once said, it is ungodly to overextend yourself. You can't do it all. Overexertion is often unspiritual. Funny enough, you would think taking a nap or resting would be easy, but at times it's actually really hard. You would think rest would be an easy thing to do, but you kind of start to get a little worried, like, wait, if I take a break, what's going to happen here at work? Or maybe what about my family? What if I can't provide for them because I'm taking a nap? What if I need to spend more time, or what if I have to do this or that? And now you're kind of just allowing anxiety to come in, and now you're creating scenarios that probably isn't even going to happen. Hebrews 4, 6 through 10, the Bible says, Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limited a certain day, saying in David, today, after so long a time, as it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if God had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his Hebrews 4 says the reason why we cannot enter into this rest is because of unbelief. Maybe you can't get that physical rest, but Jesus wants to give you that eternal spiritual rest. If you are saved in here today, you have access to that spiritual rest. You have that eternal rest already. So will you claim it? Lastly, number three, we see the entrance. This is the way we can get this spiritual rest. First, we see us through the Bible. Verse 11 through 12. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 through 12. Let us us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discern of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word can help us with our unbelief. I've never actually seen this before. Like I was always like, oh yeah, the word of God, this is what the word of God is. It kind of just pierces through us, but the context is rest. God wants to give us rest and he does it through his word. Because of our unbelief, His word can pierce right through us and help us with our unbelief. Look, this is something that the Israelites didn't have in the wilderness. This is something these Hebrew Christians didn't have back a couple thousand years ago. We have the whole Bible. We have God's word. 
we have God's love letter to us. This is the way that he speaks to us. He wants to have a relationship with us, and obviously this is the way he communicates to us. The Bible can help us with our unbelief. It breaks us down, and it helps us. But there's something else. Not only do we have the Bible, but we also have prayer. We have Jesus. The Bible says in verse 13 through 16, the Bible says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Not only do we have the Bible, we have prayer. We have access to the creator of the universe, the one who has unlimited power, the one who wants to give us that eternal rest. We have Jesus. Jesus, like I said, he came to this earth and he lived a life that we couldn't live and died the death that we deserve to die because he wanted us. And he rose again because he wants to give us that eternal rest. He desires to give us the peace. He is greater than the giants in our life. He desires to have a relationship with us. He has given us the tools for us to do so. He died on the cross for you and me. So my question is, will you have faith and enter into that rest? I'm going to end with this story. Have you heard of the madman who lit a lamp in the bright morning and went to the, into the marketplace crying ceaselessly, I seek God, I seek God. However, there are many among them standing who actually didn't believe who God was, so they actually laughed. Is God lost, one of them said? Is he gone astray like a child, said another? Or maybe he's hiding. Has he gone on board ship and emigrated? So they laughed and shouted one to another. The man sprang into their midst and looked daggers at them. And he said, where is God? He cried, I will tell you. We have killed him. You and I, we are his killers. But how have we done this? How could we swallow up the sea? Who gave us the sponge to wipe away the horizon? What will we do as the earth is set loose from its sun? You know who said that? Frederick Nischke in 1889. Nishki's point was not that God does not exist, but that God has become irrelevant. Men and women may assert that God exists or that he does not, but it makes very little difference anyway. God is dead, not because he doesn't exist, but because we live, play, procreate, govern, and die as though he doesn't. So my question is, do you live as if God is alive? Rest is a promise that God has given to us, but we cannot enter into that rest because of unbelief. So my question is, will you believe? Let's pray. Lord, just thank you for who you are. Just thank you for just giving me this opportunity to just preach your word and just to preach what's been on my heart and how, once again, rest is an area that I know I struggle in, an area that I so desperately need. And very rarely do we ever hear about this rest because, once again, culture has really skewed our perspective of rest. 
Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here who just needs rest, whether it's the fact that they're not saved, I pray they'll just find that rest in you, that eternal peace, that eternal security. And, there's, and those who are Christians in here, I pray they will just rest in you and just give it all to you, whether it's simply taking a nap or, getting, or just allowing your word to just speak to them and allowing just your presence to just overflow them. I pray you bless us now in Jesus' name. Pastor.